people always say that there are no dumb questions. You ever heard that? They'll say, there are no dumb questions. We tell our kids there are no dumb questions. Or, or sometimes people will say the only dumb questions are the ones that are not asked. Now, we want people to gain information. And if people have a question, they should surely ask it and not feel bad. But to be honest with you this morning, I, I have to tell you the truth this morning. There are some dumb questions. There just are some dumb questions. Here are some dumb questions that I found. Just to give you an example today, here's some, some dumb questions that I found. What do people in China call their good dishes? See how dumb it was? It took a minute. Why do they call it getting your dog fixed if some of their parts will no longer work? Why do we say heads up when we mean get down? Why do we trust people to handle our finances who are called brokers? Here's a very dumb one. This is dumb. If vegetable oil is made from vegetables and olive oil is made from olives, peanut oil is made from peanuts, what about baby oil? Why is this so hard? Isn't the meaning of life in the dictionary? Actually, this is a pretty good question. The indestructible black box on an airplane, the one that always survives the crash, why not make the whole plane out of that? Here's a very deep question. If you try to fail and you succeed, have you failed or have you succeeded? And here's another one. See, these are dumb. Why haven't we ever read the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery? And then here's my favorite dumb question. If you choke a Smurf, what color does it turn? <laughs> today, while there are dumb questions, we're going to look today at a good question. Really, we're going to look at a Great question. Our message today is entitled, Good Question. We're in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. Again, good question, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's holy word, beginning here in verse 18. God's word says this, a ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, 
The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. I'm thankful that on this day, we serve a risen Savior, not in a grave, not defeated by death, but a risen Savior. We, we celebrate a king. We serve our Lord. We praise you. We give you the place of our, in our life as Lord and Master, our hope, our peace, our salvation. We come today and I pray as we, have, as we have gathered that you've been glorified in this hour, that is your name that is lifted up in this hour, that as we come now, that as we sing and as we pray, as we hear your word, that we would set down our priorities and our prerogatives and we would take up yours. And I pray that right now that you would speak to us through your word. I believe it's how you speak and I believe that it's supernatural. And so I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in this hour. I pray for some in this service that do not have a relationship with Christ. I pray that that would be a settled fact in this day. I pray that in the drawing of your spirit and the preaching of your word and the understanding of sin and the understanding of the, of the Savior come from sin, for sin, that they might be saved in this hour. Lord, we come and we just tell you again how much we love you, we praise you, and we truly worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today as we begin again, Jesus has been teaching, he has been instructing his followers, his disciples, and at the same time, at other times, he has been teaching the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so as we move along today, as we come to our verses today, that is the immediate context. Jesus has been teaching sometimes his disciples, sometimes the religious leaders. But I think we need to be reminded today and we need to not forget today, there is a deeper context to our verses today. And that is, as Jesus is teaching, he is on the journey. He is making his way to the cross of Calvary. And so understand the urgency in the message. Understand the, the gravity of each conversation that he is having. He's not teaching as some college instructor. He's not teaching as some religious expert. He is teaching as the Messiah, the Savior, who himself is headed to the cross of Calvary. And so I think we need to remember that as we paint the context today. And, and then in that context... We find our verses today. He is teaching, but he's teaching as the Messiah that is headed for the cross. And then we begin today in verse 18. It says this. A ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there is a lot to unpack here in the 18th verse. Now, the first thing is this. It says a ruler, a ruler. Later it says in a couple of verses down that he was very wealthy. And so he is a ruler. He's also very wealthy. He is a wealthy ruler. In the other gospel accounts, it says that he was a young man. And so he is a ruler. He is wealthy. He is also a young man. It was highly likely that he was some sort of official at the local synagogue. 
Now, some folks say that maybe he was a member of the Sanhedrin, but I would think most likely because of his age that he was not. Most likely he is a prominent person, has a prominent position there in the local synagogue. And so the Bible says this man, this ruler, questioned Jesus. And he says this, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. Here he comes. He approaches Jesus and he says, good teacher, what what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I believe this is an honest question. I do not think he's attempting to trick Jesus. I do not think he is trying to set Jesus up. I think there's not any ill will in this man. I do not think there's any ill will in his question. I believe it is an honest question. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's look at the question. What shall I do? He is inquiring, he is asking, what shall I do to inherit? Now, the Greek word here for inherit means to possess, but it actually is deeper than that. It means more than that. It means to be allotted or to be assigned or to be ascribed. What shall I do to be ascribed, to be allotted eternal life? Now, eternal life here would be the same as the the earlier discussion that we had a few weeks ago. What is it to enter into the kingdom of God? And that's really what he's asking in his Jewish understanding. What does it mean? What would it take for me to enter into the kingdom of God? Or really, what would it take for me to be right with God that I would be allotted or I would be ascribed eternal life? Basically, the young ruler's question is this. What shall I do to be saved? That's that's his question. What what shall I do to be saved? I want to tell you, that's a a great question. That's a a good question for him and his understanding as it was developing. That's a, a great question for us today. What do I have to do to have life, to have eternal life? What would I have to do to enter into the kingdom of God? What should I do to be saved? Listen to me, the most important question you will ever ask, what should I do to be saved? The greatest impact of any question you're gonna ask, what should I do to be saved? Not who should I marry, not what career should I have, what should I do, what would I do to inherit eternal life? Now how awesome, and do not miss this, but how awesome is it that he's asking Jesus. Do you see that? He's asking Jesus. Now evidently he saw something different in Jesus. Maybe it's how he teaches as one with an authority. Maybe it was all the miraculous things that he had heard that he had done. Maybe he'd even seen some of those things. But because of that, he sees something different in Jesus and he calls him good, good rabbi, good teacher. Now understand this, no Jewish rabbi was addressed or was called to his face 
as good. It wasn't proper. It just wasn't done. Now, when you talked about him, you might call him a good teacher or a good rabbi, but when you talked to him face to face, you would never address them as good. But understand this. God and his divine working has brought this man, and he is asking Jesus. See how awesome this is. He is asking the giver of life how to inherit eternal life. He comes, in fact, he's, he's talking to Jesus, the one that's gonna offer salvation, making his way to the cross. He asks him, how is it that I would be saved? That's like asking Henry Ford how to drive or a Rockefeller how to be rich. This man asked Jesus, how is it that I would be saved? And Jesus is on his way to secure his salvation. What a great question. But how awesome that he came to the right place. Verse 19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 19 is a very, very interesting verse. Verse 19, Jesus forces an issue here. A Jewish leader, an astute Jew, would have known that the law revealed that they could not really be good. A Jewish leader, a Jewish person would have understood that the law revealed that they could not actually be good. In fact, God had revealed that all have gone astray and that no one, not one, is good. The, the prophet Isaiah, the psalmist says that in our sins we have denied God and we are not good. That was the point of it all. Only God is good. You have the law and you try to keep the law, but when you can't keep the law, you have the sacrificial system to cover up for your failings. It was all pointing to the truth, only God is good. And so Jesus forces the issue here and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now what is he saying? What is he about to reveal, listen to me, it's this. I am God. He's about to force the issue here. Now we, we come today in Islam, the Muslims today, they think that Jesus was a prophet, but he was not God. And they continue on in that era. The Jehovah's Witness today, they think he was a good model, but no way could he ever be God. And they continue on in that era. The Jews then and now believe Jesus was not God. Well, Jesus is about to reveal here, I am God. See this. The young ruler is about to see, it, see this today. Listen. If only God is good then God can only be the standard for goodness. That's what he's about to reveal to him. If only God is good, it is only God who can be the measure for goodness. That is why he is holy. That's why he is set aside. If only God is good, only God can be the measure for goodness. So Jesus forces the issue. Now keeping going, verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He says to him, you know the commandments. Now he reminds them basically here of the 10 commandments. You, you know the commandments. To remind them, he lists some of the commandments. He lists here the seventh and the sixth and the eighth and the ninth 
and the fifth commandment. All these that he listed all deal with how he was to relate to man. You know the commandments, and so keep them. Now, all that he is saying here is this. You know the commandments. You know them, and so to be saved, to have eternal life, keep them. That's really all that he's saying. To be saved, all you have to do is be perfect. That's all he's saying. You know the commandments, keep them. Be perfect in them. Verse 21. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Verse 21, a very crazy verse. Very simply, the ruler says, the young guy says this, I have. You know the commandments, hear the commandments, keep the commandments. I have. Simply he says, I have it covered. And probably the young man is being very sincere. He's thinking to himself, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I'm not a liar. I've honored my parents. He says, I have. In fact, I always have. Since my youth, I have kept these commandments. See this. Stay with me. This is a very big deal. He may have been sincere, but he was wrong. He may have been sincere, but listen to me, but he failed to understand sin. And because he had a false idea about sin, he had a false security in his salvation. Did you hear what I just said? Because he had a false idea about sin, he has a false security in his salvation. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Good people do not go to heaven. Kind, generous people do not go to heaven. Isn't that what we say today? Well-meaning people do not go to heaven. Only saved people, saved by faith in Jesus Christ, will ever go to heaven, and that's the biblical truth. And So let me tell you, If all the preacher wants to preach is self-help and all the preacher wants to preach is God's favor, all the preacher wants to preach is his form of the gospel that is a sin-free gospel, it is a disgrace and it is a disservice and it is a false hope because with a false idea about sin, people have a false security in their salvation and they will miss Jesus. Do you understand why that's a big deal? We got whole churches saying, I'm not gonna talk about sin. If you have a false idea about sin, you're securing a false idea of salvation and you will go to hell. That's why it's a big deal. That's why the Bible says we're to warn each other of the wolves. If you misunderstand sin, you're gonna misunderstand and have a false idea of salvation. Let me just say this. I have stood by the gravesides and I have buried some people just like him. And they seemed to have it together in their life. Oh, they were a good person. They were a generous person. Oh, look at the listing of things that they had done that were good, but they died outside of the truth of the gospel and nobody had the courage to tell them. And oh, how sad that is. God, forgive us. 
Jesus tells him, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Verse 22, he gives him some instructions that are specific to him. Now understand the context here. To, to this rich young man, this rich young prominent ruler, he says, sell all, listen, all that you have and give it to the poor. But what about 10%? What about 33%? He says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And he says this, and come and follow me. See, here's the deal. Jesus says to have eternal life, you must follow me. That's the point. To have eternal life, you must follow me. And whatever your situation is, we know what this guy's situation was. Whatever it is, I must be the priority is what Jesus says. It can't be you. It can't be your position. It can't be your wealth. You have to set all of that down and you have to follow me. If you want to be saved, if you want to have eternal life, I have to be the priority and you follow me. That's the consistent message of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 23. But, but when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. The literal translation says, it translates this. He became exceedingly sorrowful. Exceedingly sorrowful. He was grieved to his core. He became exceedingly sorrowful because it translates, he was exceedingly rich. He was exceedingly rich. He became exceedingly sorrowful because he was exceedingly rich. Remember when he was confident in his perfectness? Remember when he was confident in his sinlessness? We'll see here in his response, he loved himself more than he loved God. First commandment broken. He had idols that were placed above God. Second commandment broken. He was a covetous man. He loved his wealth. Ten commandment broken. He needed a savior. Oh, he needed a savior, but he couldn't let go. He was exceedingly sorrowful. Verse 24. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? They have a false hope. They have a false security. There's no need. Just like this man, I've got it covered. Verse 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The, the Greek word here is for a surgical needle or for a sewing needle. Now, some people try to, to explain that away, but basically, you get the picture. Here is a needle. There is the eye in the needle. The camel is not going through the eye of the needle. Now, the truth of that is this. 
as long as people are self-reliant, as long as people are self-focused, as long as people are self-satisfied, as long as people are content in their temporary comfort, as long as people are safe in their false security, they will not be saved. That's what it says. The camel's not going through the eye of the needle. Verse 26. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? Very smart question. Very smart observation. Then they who heard it said, then who can be saved? These people say, good grief, the standard is too high. Good grief, this is not possible, good grief, this good man, this law-keeping man, this Jewish ruler, this religious man, this rich person, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? It is hopeless. It is not possible. The camel's not going through the eye of the needle. What shall we do? What can we do? How are we ever going to be saved? Where is our hope? Then listen to the Savior headed for the cross. Listen to the Lamb on his way to the altar. Listen to the promise headed to fulfillment. Listen to Jesus. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. I am your hope. I am your answer. I am your Savior. Follow me. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come today and we hear the truth of the gospel once again. It's in every verse, it's on every page. You bring it to, to, our, to our mind every time we come and we, we sit at your feet. You tell us it's not of any work of our own, not of anything we can do. There's nothing we can do to secure it. It's by your grace. It's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have to set it down and follow you. So I'm thankful for the Lord, the gospel explained of Jesus Christ, that, that our wealth is not going to do it, our position is not going to do it. Keeping all the laws as best we can, we're not going to do it. But as we cry out for a Savior, we have Jesus. Thank you for that. I pray that we embrace that. I pray for folks here that have that have come and for the first time they're hearing the good news of Christ, that, that in the hearing of this they would embrace you as their Savior. I pray for us here that have, that have made this decision, but we've done that, that we would understand we've allowed a false standard to go out. Only perfection is the standard. Only God is good. Everything else is going to fall short. 
I pray we wouldn't be content to let people go in their false hope and their false security down to hell. Help us to speak the truth. Help us to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would move in our time of invitation. Lord, I ask that you would move and that you are moving in our hearts. And I pray the result of all of it is that you would be greatly glorified. We love you. We praise you. I thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.